Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and tonight I'm joined by Jack Harris and site publisher Chris Cartman. Fellas, how we doing late on the Sunday evening? Back from Vegas. It was a busy weekend and got a whole lot of bracket to break down. So Jack and I actually drove back from Vegas this morning. We didn't want to go yesterday. You know, ASU had a big junior day just in case there was any kind of late-breaking news associated with that. And then also we wanted to uh, do some writing about ASU's prospects on the bubble and wrote a column where I said I thought ASU should be in the tournament. So we came back this morning. Jack Jack went to ASU baseball. Didn't watch much baseball. Yeah, I he, watched. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I was telling Jack, did you see but that? And he was saying, no, I'm working there, on the article. There, you watch it. Yeah, there was a lot of multitasking going yeah. on at, at, at the baseball game that ended at four. So the last couple innings was like sp- split screen in my vision. I ran up to, to Scottsdale show. to get Zylan Cheatham yeah, talking to about. Yeah, the ice rink. Yeah, yeah. At, at an ice rink. Because they were at Bobby Hurley's house watching it. So... That was, I guess, the nearest kind of location they could do it at. So ran up there, came back. We got up all, all of our, you know, content about uh, St. John's. We have a very yeah. good, very good in-depth preview that Jack wrote about St. John's. He's writing it during the baseball on, game on before they even knew it was St. John's. And then he still, the and then he game. still wrote a, and then he still wrote a long story about ASU a, baseball going undefeated. I'm a hero, guys. Really, Jack had a stellar day. So what we're doing right now, actually, folks, is we're all having beers. Uh, this is like a beer cast slash unfiltered. Now, some people will say that I'm only allowed to have half of beer because that's become, you know, <laughs> sort of a little bit of a son of a source legend. But I actually no, no, have you already... only prefer half a beer. That's well, that's, that's what I thought. That's that's what. And, and currently your glass is only about half full. And it will stay that way (laughs) (laughs) forever. But as Chris is saying, the majority of this podcast is focused obviously on the breaking news from today. Arizona State making the NCAA tournament as the second to last team in the 68 team field with St. John's being the very last team. And that is Arizona State's opponent. Uh, ASU is uh, the only team from the Pac-12 in the tournament last year and this year, even though they're in the first four. Their game is going to be in Dayton, Ohio. Wednesday at approximately 6.10. Guys, how did today go versus how you expected it to go? Well, it went about how I expected it to go from this morning. Um, I think when me and Chris were, were driving back this morning, uh, my, my my idea was I think ASU is going to get in. I think it's it's most likely they go to Dayton. And then I think if they if they if they aren't going to Dayton, they're not going in the tournament. I didn't think they were going to get a 10 seed or give, go straight into the first round. Um I thought if they did get in, and this is kind of how it played out, they would get in because of the quad one, quad two strength of their record, their, their performance in road games. Um, that's that's the edge they had on a lot of the other bubble teams. That's how it played out, not only with ASU, but the other first four teams that got in. Now, I will say, as the selection show started, and Belmont and Temple come up in that first first four game, it kind of looked like, okay, maybe the selection committee is going to favor teams that are higher up in the net. You saw that. Uh, there was another team. Uh, St. Mary's, on it now. Saint Saint Mary's, Mary's being ahead of Oregon. Yes, because yes, St. Mary's also pretty good in the net ahead of Oregon. So it looked like, okay, maybe it's going to be a TCU or one of these other teams that are higher yeah, up in the net than ASU that's going to get into the tournament. And then it ended up being the two lowest net-ranked teams on the bubble that ended up getting in that in that last first four games. So it, go, it, it went how I expected, but during the selection show, it, it looked like, ooh, maybe ASU's not going to get in. Um, but, but all in all, most people had ASU in the field, it seemed like. 
Most people had them in the first four. I think this is about where they deserve to be, given the bipolar nature of their resume. I would agree with that. Um, and I think St. John's is a, as a matchup. You're not going to complain about that if you're ASU. I think it's a favorable matchup. We're, we'll get into that later, though. So Temple and, and Belmont, you know, just kind of fleshing that out, out a little bit more, they were super bubbly. Like, especially Belmont was only in 30 of the 120. Yeah, Belmont's tough to – I mean, Belmont was one of these tough mid-major yeah. teams to evaluate. I sure. didn't think Belmont was going to get it because it's a smaller-tier school. They haven't played some... a lot of games right. against good opponents. But but when we saw that flash up – and remember, they did it uh, alphabetically yeah. last year, and this year it was by the by the, the regions. When we saw that, that, that was clearly the – two of the three or four teams that ASU was, was competitive with. Yeah. And Belmont was one of the teams that was not really being included yes. in a lot of brackets. So it seemed like, oh, somebody we was in We were discussing there. it, uh-huh. but we were discussing it in terms of how will that be perceived given some of these new metrics and, and all that, um, and you know all the quadrant stuff. But um, So that, that was the thing that a, a lot of people felt like was – concerning for ASU then seeing St. Mary's given a better seed than Oregon given how Oregon finished the season and 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 uh won the Pac-12 and then uh it had a pretty good net rate rating also um but then it was revealed as ASU uh and St. John's only in the, the final bracket in the west yeah. bracket region the they literally end. like at that point it was like asu is not going to be a 10 so if it didn't show up on that one graphic but when i saw and i i, I kind of regret this because i thought about tweeting it before we talked on the way here about wouldn't the ncaa tournament committee do something you know kind of funny like put asu against <laughs> yeah. buffalo and I almost tweeted, watch ASU be in 11 play-in with Buffalo as the team that they would have. I, Did you really? Yeah. Like, I actually mm-hmm. I actually expected that at, on some level. Um, and I really did think, as I said, I think ASU deserved to be in. There was this big discrepancy between, with a lot of teams, and we could talk about this also, uh, between the net and the RPI. That was kind of a factor. And, um, you know, but but I personally – Look at ASU being the only team from the Pac-12 making it in back-to-back years as a pretty great accomplishment, even though uh, some people will say that it's the field expanded and they're in the first four and they haven't won. Uh, and if they don't win a game, then you know will they really, really be considered to be in the tournament by, by a lot of people who maybe don't pay attention in the first four because that's not part of the brackets and all that stuff. And I get all that stuff. That, that's, that's, that's part of the conversation, but you know, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, and during conference tournament play this past week, the bubble did seem to shrink. Obviously, Oregon getting the spot into the tournament, winning the Pac-12 tournament. St. Mary's defeating Gonzaga in the WCC tournament. St. Louis stealing a spot. I don't think a lot of people projected the bubble to get so tight on this final day. I know that we said last week that we did think it was going to get a little bit tighter, but even I did not envision this. Well, it always gets a couple spots, and that's what I was trying to tell people. Now, I really thought, Rob that ASU winning its regular season final game against Arizona in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament, that it would find itself on the cut line of the first four, like maybe in or in the first four, like uh, like um, in without the first yeah, four right. or in the first we four. We talked about that last week, yep. And But what ended up happening is with those those three spots and just, I guess, the way that, that the, the selection committee 
perceived it to be ASU was maybe a couple spots lower than I had thought in that kind of range, but very close, really. We're talking about just a couple spots here or there, but that's the difference between being out or maybe maybe you know not having to play in Dayton. And one of the reasons that the bubble tightened up also for ASU even more was because of how they played against Oregon, losing that game, which was a very winnable game, it seemed like, for ASU for a long time. Uh, I mean, when they came back in the second half, I thought they had a good chunk of momentum. Kenny Wooten was really not in a groove. I thought that Oregon just wasn't feeling it in that game. I just I don't think ASU hurt itself necessarily because Oregon had a better net, and people, of course, knew that Remy Martin was playing hurt in the game, and Oregon was maybe one of the hotter teams in all of you know, major conference yeah, play. that's true. So I, was, I think that more so it was just ASU didn't capitalize on an upside opportunity to play itself out of being in the fi- in the first four. That, that's the way that I sort of perceive that. I mean, to me, when I look at the bubble and the last four teams in and the first four teams out, um, the, the, the demarcation line almost to me is the way those teams that made the tournament performed in quad one and quad two and on the road. Belmont, Temple, ASU, St. John's, all 500 or better in quad one, quad two opportunities. Belmont had 12 road wins. ASU had seven road wins. Temple had eight road wins. Even St. John's, uh, which, which wasn't great this season, it was only four and seven on the road. Um, but it had, again, like 10 quad one, quad two victories. Some of these teams that just missed out, you know, TCU, uh, it seems like one of the bigger snubs that people want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were five or six games under 500 in quad one, quad two. UNC Greensboro, under 500. Alabama, same story. Indiana had some really good wins. But overall, in the in that in that uh, category, we're under 500 as well. So ASU's performance, like when you when you look at how it broke down, the the fact that they got another opportunity in quad one, quad two uh, against Oregon, even though they didn't win it, um, it, had they taken another quad three loss, another bad loss, like to U, to UCLA, or if they had played Utah in that game, uh, that would have made it, I think, really tough because you start stacking up right. so many bad losses, it's going to make it tough for the committee. But I think. ASU had just enough good wins and was like probably at the max for the amount of bad losses it could take for the committee to, to sort of overlook that. Um, that's why playing Oregon was important so that when it came down to Sunday and they were looking at some of these teams, I, I think even though we didn't really know how they were going to perceive the net, even though with some of the seeding decisions, I think the net might have played a factor like with the St. Mary's and the Oregon thing. Um, but I think when it came to the committee deciding which teams were going to be in the tournament, which teams weren't going to be in the tournament, they, they decided to reward the teams that, that, that played the best in those tough games right. against the best opponents or on the road, which really has been – that's been usually the way this plays out anyway with you know teams that have better wins get over teams who might not have as many mm-hmm. bad losses or what have you. We didn't know how it was going to play out with the net. Um, ASU is probably lucky that the net wasn't the number one deciding factor. Honestly, same, yeah. same with St. John's. That's a good point. Yeah, because otherwise they're probably not in the tournament. Well, here's the, what I would say: the RPI being what it was for a lot of years, we never saw a, a major conference team with an RPI in the 30s that didn't get picked as an at-large mm-hmm. team. So the net had North Carolina State 33, which is quite high. That, really, really. that, that never would have been a team that missed the tournament yeah. in the RPI era. Well, now in the net, 
clearly that the selection committee didn't put as much weight into that. Otherwise, that team would have been in for sure right. over you know over whoever Belmont or somebody, right? So that goes, yeah. So so my so my but but if you look at it, like in the RPI. Um, North Carolina State was like 90 or something, right? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it have even been considered? So they wouldn't have even been considered in the RPI. So so the point I'm making is it wasn't like what a lot of people thought would happen, which was that the RPI would become uh, – the net would become the RPI. And I, granted, yeah. I know that last year – And we even debated that on this was podcast it, last week. Was it just last year – that they made the switch to yeah. the average of all of the advanced metrics mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, or was and it they ch- added the quadrants yeah. last year too. And they added the qu- so that that was a big change. Yeah. And then this year we didn't know how much of a change it would be. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, Jack, about because I think you made a really good point um, was how much the incorporation of some of the advanced metric stuff really influenced the way that these teams showed up on the net and or were perceived by the selection committee in, in terms of offensive and defensive efficiency, et cetera. I think one of the the more interesting examples, NC State is one, um, but like Texas, this is the one that sticks out in my mind. Texas was 30, 38 in the net, a team that... 500 basketball team. Yeah, 16 and 16, but 38 in the net. 38 in the RPI, you wouldn't get... You just wouldn't get that high in the RPI with a 16 and 16 record. And I saw a lot of people... Uh, on Twitter, a lot of like actual like serious college basketball reporters talking about you know oh if Texas gets in or Indiana is another team that was seventeen yeah. and similar, seventeen similar and fifteen. Similar story right there. Yeah. yeah, these teams who who in the past because the way the system was set up it was so results based wouldn't even be in the discussion. This year had maybe a, a, a semi strong case to make that they that they should be in the tournament because Texas is a team. Same with Indiana. They're 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 pretty high in the net. Um, same with NC State. They're pretty high in the net because their offensive efficiency ratings, their defensive efficiency ratings are strong. And I think the thing that you saw today was though they've incorporated the net and it's a it's a modern, forward-thinking, analytical thing, the people in the committee room really aren't that different than the people who have been selecting teams for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. So when it – and this is why I think the bubble thing's interesting. When it came down to the teams that they decided are going to – make the tournament or not make the tournament. The most important decisions that the selection committee has to make, even though they have all of these other metrics available to them that are supposed to tell you, well, this team's better than this team regardless of record, they still went ahead and rewarded the teams that won not just the most games, but won the most games against the... uh, won the most tough games on their schedule. Mm -hmm. But see, Texas did go... Eight and thirteen in quad one, quad two. Yeah, but that's that. That's not that's not a bad result. It's not bad, but again, the, and sixty nine in the RPI, like that team. Yeah, that team might have, it wouldn't have gotten in, in the past because you can't be sixteen and sixteen, right? right? We and we understand that. Yeah. Yes. But what part of this that's different though is that in the selection committee, I, I ran out the door, so I really didn't get all of it. But based on what I saw from Twitter. Uh, the chairman even said that strength of non-conference schedule didn't have much of a of a factor this year. Which as you a, saw with Temple yeah. didn't have a very good non-conference schedule. Got in St. John's, not a good non-conference strength of schedule. Got in. They still had opportunities through their leagues to pick up some important wins and some tough games. So, so what? Prob- we- well, no, I just want to just I just want to you know kind of put a button on this. 
the the challenge is for NCAA coaches to really understand how they need to put together their scheduling. Right. Yes. Because and it's y- important, like y- you're saying, this is going to matter. In your terms career of is you on make, the line. Yeah. Your your career is partly on the line, judged by how many tournaments you get to. Right. And so what happened was. There, there was an increased importance on tougher non-conference scheduling in recent years in order to help the way that the metrics sort of were gamed to get yes. you higher that would yes. lead you to be in the tournament. But then what happened now is the selection committee was like, eh, no, nah, that's really not that important now. Well, why? Why did it so. go from why did it go from really important to eh, not that important? And, and how does a coach kind of calibrate that? And so my, my, just my, my last thing I want to say on this is the NCAA is, is being unfair to teams. They need to be able to come to terms with a certain sort of a, of a formula that then stays the course for a period of several years or more yeah. to really figure out if that's the way to go and help coaches prepare. Yeah, also, and, and I think when you look at like when you look at power filtered, Rob. Teams, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I just got to jump in and beat you guys in. I mean, when you look at so so here's why I use the Texas example. Texas played a pretty tough non-conference schedule. Yeah. They played VCU at home. They played Providence at home. They played Radford at home. Only three quad four games, period, on their schedule. Other teams had 12, 13, 15. Oklahoma had none. And you have a lot of these teams that are are in that boat. And I think think what the the selection committee has to be careful of is like a team like Texas, had they just played an easier non-conference schedule? Yeah. One – Two or three more games. That's probably all they needed. Three more games that they win. So, so my question is this, and th- we're not going to get an answer because you can't answer this. But h- how, like, how is the system going to get better? Is there going to be, like, why wouldn't the NCAA put something out that explains this at least maybe to coaches it's or not, something? But see, it's Rob. It's not necessarily better because you're going to be able to argue at the end of the day, right? And and I get that. Who, I, who's the best sixtieth? Right. You know, team, right. or the and I fifth that, best team. Like you were saying, this makes and breaks careers. So doesn't there need to be something that the explains problem, more clearly what's the, going to happen each year? Well, no, Because this changed from year to year right the, now. The problem is that you don't have a consistency that is able to be understood by the coaches when they're going about their scheduling. Mm-hmm. That that can't happen. Yeah, you, They need to say, this is how we're going to keep it for the foreseeable future here's why because you're also yeah. undercutting why you had it a, a, the other way right. to begin with like i you pers- start wondering why did you change i look at texas and i'm like you know i i want to reward them for playing such a hard non-conference schedule even though they're 16 and 16 because they only played three q4 teams but then you look at other teams that are in the tournament and you know they just they played way more q3 q4 opponents mm-hmm. yeah and i think the big question this year was as you incorporate the analytics, is it going to matter? Is it going to matter quite who you're playing, or is just the fact that that, that you have like you're an you're an efficient offensive team that you're you're high in the Ken Palm ratings? Will that alone be enough to start pushing you into the tournament this year? The answer was no, which okay. is why ASU is it was a, was a team that wasn't loved by the analytics. St. John, same story, but those teams had enough good results to where they were able to get themselves into the field. But I think on like a more macro level, I think some coaches, especially those who, who might think, all right, I like the team I have. I'm pretty sure we're going to grade out pretty well in the computers. I know we're going to play in a tough league that's going to give us a lot of opportunities yeah. in these top quadrant games. They're going to have to start making decisions. Do we want to play tougher non-conference schedules when that seems to be, in some respects, a little bit de-emphasized? Or do we want to 
make sure that we build our win total as our efficiency ratings are up since since that's going to help us since we don't have to worry about the RPI anymore and we can maybe put not as good teams on our schedule and not get quite as punished and then try to go into the league win as many tougher games as we can and have ourselves in a better position than they would have been otherwise under the old system and I think what's interesting about ASU is the Sun Devils are kind of the antithesis to that because again they weren't good in the analytics they played a really tough non-conference schedule they had to win just about all of those tough games that they did win if they didn't have the Utah State win or if they didn't have like the Oregon win at home or the Washington win at home if they only had say say ASU only went what what, they played 17 games say they only went uh, nine and eight in quad one, quad two, or eight and nine, they're probably not in the tournament yeah. right now. It's because they they were able to win enough of those really tough games that even though they lost some of the bad ones, uh, it didn't end up punishing right. them just because that, that's to it's, me that's the way it all played out. It's just that you can you can pick and choose, you can yeah. cherry pick the information. You totally can. And so and it's teams like definitely are going to do that, and fans are going to do that as well. Well, it, it's it's about the committee's ability to do that more than anything because right. it, like if you look at it. Yeah, Temple and Belmont, they were they were pretty good against Q1, Q2, but it was such a small number of teams. Belmont played uh, 30 games this year, and 22 of the 30 games were against Q3, Q4. Like that's crazy. And and I'm and, and, and Temple and the committee's way again. I think the committee's way that it looked at it at least this year was it doesn't quite so much matter what you did in quad three, quad four, how many games but you played. But tell that to Shaka Smart, who would have just scheduled eight, seven or eight easier games, yeah. and he would have been 20 and 12 or that whatever. Well, yeah, and, but and, and they would have been in the tournament. Like that, yeah. right? well, but also, didn't, didn't you tell me, Jack, that that's not how it works? You, do you schedule them the year before? I thought it was a few uh, years before. A, no. a lot of them are scheduled in the, in the off season a lot of before. Your, a lot of your... There's some home and homes that are scheduled before. The, but a lot of them are scheduled. The, non, the non-conference games. I wasn't aware of yeah, that. Yeah, the non-conference. That's an important note. Yeah, the non-conference tournaments are I don't think everybody understands that. I don't think all fans yeah, get but teams, teams have a lot of control, especially with like the second tier and third tier non-conference games you play. And so as it's almost like that you have two ideologies colliding right now with the, the selection committee. Do we want to reward teams that are, are better in the analytical rankings? Or do we want to reward teams that, that won more games and, and won tougher games? And I think at the cut line, they went with the latter is how they, they graded out. But I think you can see other parts of the tournament where – Analytics and those sorts of things are becoming more and more important. And as you start to project four or five years down the line, you could maybe see a scenario where an Indiana or a Texas or North Carolina aren't getting left out anymore if that's the trend we go on. But right now, the net is still so new. The the selection committee itself is still so unchanged from the general demographics that it used to have that ASU's resume was still one that that was considered good enough to get in. Um, But – it's just very interesting to see how this all played out this afternoon and to see that despite all of the new things that have been added in, really the the criteria and the things that have been most important in recent years remain the same, at least at the cut line this season. Chris? Well, I just wanted to come back to TCU as a part of this conversation because mm-hmm. a lot of people felt like they were the number one team that really got screwed in this whole thing even though they were 7 and 11 in the Big 12 and they were 20 and 13 overall but they they're similar in that they only played four quad 4 games now their 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 quad their quad 1 quad 2 they were 9 and 13 9 and 13 and okay like they lost a few games but imagine if they just played five or six more games 
of that Q1, Q2 variety in Q3, Q4, and they were a 23-win team, I, I think that they'd be viewed a little bit differently. I think they would have a I – th- I just think they'd be viewed differently. And, you know, also you can sort of cherry pick it. But, like, their their average loss is a 36. It's very good. Yeah, and exactly. I, I, I think at the cut line, the losses didn't quite matter so much. It's when you had your opportunities to play good teams. I think this is the thing that saves Belmont because Belmont did not play very many top-end games. But when it did, it was above 500 mm-hmm. and a SoCon that – Gave it yeah. a few more opportunities to play quad one, quad two. It's not like they still played eight games of, of those caliber yeah. and came out with five and three. So, right. again, I think to me that is the, the the biggest similarities between the teams that got in and the teams that didn't is, is that, that quad one, quad yeah. two record. We had talked about it all year. Bobby Hurley referenced it at his, at his press conference last Friday that that's the thing he thought would get them in. He was right. All right, so we're going to move on into more of what we – think this means for the program what does making the tournament two times for the first time since 1980 1981 mean for this sun devil basketball program consecutively for the yeah, first consecutively time. excuse me sorry consecutively and since 80 81 so, i've long what i've long said uh, and i think our listeners will know this is many moons ago <laughs> our, our well our our subscribers at least will know i'm i'm an incrementalist meaning that ASU basketball is not going to go from making the tournament 20% of the time to 70 or 80% of the time overnight or yeah. go from winning a game or two in the tournament every every few years, five years maybe, to all of a sudden getting in the Sweet 16 kind of regularly. That's just unlikely to happen. So you have to look at making the tournament in consecutive years, winning 20 games in consecutive years, doing that against tougher non-conference schedules, having a, a really good attendance average, which is like third maybe in the conference now. You have to look at that incrementally as as really, really, you know, great success that ASU's had in the last couple of years. And people will say, and I don't even disagree necessarily, people will say that this ASU team may be underachieved a little bit relative to its own potential, uh, given how talented that it was historically at ASU and how bad that the Pac-12 actually is relative to average. And... I sort of agree with that, actually. Like, I think that this ASU team probably shouldn't have been in the first four. I think it should have been a little bit better. I mean, and we know, like, it came off of some of its biggest wins with some 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 bad losses, right? Uh, losing at home to Princeton and Washington State and Utah, and and those things had, uh, you know, those things are the reason that ASU is in the first four. But having said that. You have to put that in one sort of area, mm-hmm. and then the other area is just the bottom line reality, which is the program is in a, in a much healthier place yeah. on average than it has been at almost any point in time in the last 40 years or so, and whatever that's a it big is, deal. Th- whether 35 or not, years. And we've talked about whether or not the team underachieved due to the talent on this team. That's a completely different discussion than – is this team moving in the right direction? Yeah. Is the program seeing the kind of improvement, as Chris is saying, that you want to see because you're not going to make those huge jumps from year to year? Yeah, exactly. And and Chris has been touting this line for a while. But it's, yes, they've taken a step forward the last couple of years. But does this put them in a position to actually capitalize on it and keep going? You know, ASU fans don't need to be reminded that they were good under with Ike Diago. 
and they tail off. They were good with James Harden. They tail off. They were good with Jahi Harson. They tail off. I think there are some tangible differences with where they are now. The attendance and the excitement around the program. Yeah. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is pretty unprecedented for and maybe James Harden. James Harden was maybe different. a little bit close. Yes, but this seems like more. This doesn't seem okay. Seems well, James like Harden's, more sustainable yeah. because there's not the kind of yeah. presence like a well, James no, Harden. Well, one of the main reasons it's probably a little more sustainable is because Bobby Hurley is a dynamic enough yes. person and as a recruiter he's the that you can think he's going to be able to get more talent or or on average a little bit better talent than some of his predecessors were able to do. Yeah. Right? Now, the problem is, and I've obviously watched ASU basketball really closely for you know 25 years now, and just whenever you sort of think that they're about ready to turn the corner – they they failed to do so, right? That's what Jack's talking about. People mm-hmm. thought under Ned Wolk that they had their best teams and what some people even thought was maybe one of the best teams in the history of the conference. Yeah. Five NBA you know players as their starters, right. and then they fire Wolk within two years, and you know they go in a totally different direction. And then you know so so you can't really know when exactly you're going to have that sort of thing be be leveraged into being on a higher platform that still remains to be seen i'm not calling this you know that sort of an event yet but i will say that you have to get to this place before you can parlay that into actually being on a higher tier and they are at least they've at least gotten to this place in in a in a in an impressive way and i think before you can make a, a final assessment on this question, things could look so different if ASU wins on Wednesday, beats Buffalo, maybe even sneaks into the Sweet 16 somehow. It's a completely different dynamic than that Definitely. we're talking about because then that's a fair. program. That's very fair. Yeah, because then, like, think about how different it'll be if ASU somehow gets to a Sweet 16 or even to the wins, even to the second round. Compared to if they bow out in the first four back-to-back years, a lot of people will feel like, did they even really make the tournament if they are out right. in the first so four back-to-back seasons? And I think the yeah. energy around the program is completely different. So that's why I think but that's they're in a good place now. Yeah, the next couple weeks or, or the next week is going to be maybe the most in, important week or potentially right. influential week in Bobby Hurley's tenure. But, but, you, so, but, but what, then the last couple weeks were too. Right, but so, okay. yes. so this is my question yes. for you guys. Does does this team making the first four in consecutive years change the perception of, let's say, ASU's a 10 seed both years? Well, obviously, just being a 10 seed has a little bit more weight, a little more right. value. And but it's, sure. it's that small difference, but it, but if it they seems had, like it might make a big if, difference in if, people's minds. But if they had beaten Syracuse last year, mm-hmm. and let's say they beat St. John's this year, then that's different. Right. And, just, and the example I point to is like Steve Alford at UCLA – People, maybe not UCLA fans because they're pretty fickle, but I think national people, when they evaluated UCLA and Steve Alford, they said, okay, Steve Alford was pretty successful there because he made it to two sweet 16s. Forget, no one brings up the fact that those teams were both 11 seeds. One of them had to go through the first four. It just, again, it just changes. It's completely different if you can actually do something in March, and that's, that's the next step for ASU. This is probably the best chance they have to win a tournament game or two, at least in the next couple years. Um, So... Getting into the tournament was big. If you can build off it, right. then I think you're really setting yourself up to maybe take advantage of this momentum like we're talking about. 
ASU was the only team that had three first team, first or second team all conference players, right? I I didn't yes. know that. I Oh, you mean from the Pac-12? Yes. Yeah, I thought you were talking Two all-defensive freshmen true. of the year. The Pac-12 freshmen of the year. And then let's see what happens with the NBA. We don't know what Lugens Dort's going to do, if he's going to leave or not leave or whatever. That remains right. to be seen. Uh, Zylan Cheenum is somebody who could probably play at the next level. What recruits want is they want to, to, to see, can we play on a big stage? And can we get to the next level? In front of a big crowd, ASU's the third. In the, can we make the tournament? Yeah, ASU's making the tournament. Can we then take our – can we play in a system that's user-friendly and that we can showcase our skills? This is, does that. And can we make money, parlay this into NBA opportunity, first-round draft status? They're checking those some of these boxes right. off. And, you know, now we'll, now we'll kind of see what happens from here. Okay, quickly, Jack wrote a really good preview of what to expect in the St. John's matchup. I want both of you to tell me just a little bit about what you think that game is going to be like. You know, it's very interesting. St. John's, to me, very much like last season's ASU team. They start 12-0. They're 12-0 entering Big East play. Now, they Which don't... I believe is the same as ASU was. Yes, 12-0, yeah, right? 12-0. Yeah. Now, now, St. John's didn't have the signature wins that last year's ASU team did. But still, undefeated start to the season. They get into the Big East, which was kind of down this year, similar to the way Pac-12 was last season. Uh, but then they started to struggle. They lost. They, they had some good wins in the Big East. They swept Marquette, which was impressive. They beat Villanova. Right. So they can they can play with some play of the up best to teams some competition. in the country. Yeah. But they also lost both their regular season games to DePaul, finished below 500 in the Big East, <laughs> got bounced in the quarterfinals of the Big East tournament. Um, the way they play is also similar similar to last year's ASU team. Uh, it's a it's a guard heavy team. Shamori Pons, ASU fans probably going to remember him. He dropped 19 on the Sun Devils when they played in LA last year. But St. John's does not have a lot of size. Uh, they play with with two six foot seven guys in the front court. They're they're a, they're a guard heavy team. They don't shoot a lot of threes, which is interesting. They're they're more of a, a dribble drive team. They want to get inside. Mm-hmm. Um, defensively, they do a couple of things. They have Shamori Pons who. Over two steals a game. They also had the Big East Defensive Player of the Year. So I think for ASU, the advantages is going to be if they can take care of the ball, because St. John's is really good at taking it away. If they can take care of the basketball and move the ball around, especially if St. John's plays a zone against mm-hmm. them, you're going to get shot attempts, and you're probably going to ASU is probably going to have a, a pretty big advantage on the glass. That's what you'd expect. So for me, for ASU, the keys take care of the ball. Try to generate some second possessions. If you can do those things and play well defensively, keep Shamori Pons under wraps, which you – I mean, you have a guy in Lugan Stort who you think can probably right. – uh, it's probably going to be the matchup there. Um, I think it's a pretty favorable matchup for ASU. It's not a team. Chris Mullen is not a guy who's going to out-coach you, really. They don't have a, a, a real, you know, standard system like an Oregon. They like to get up and down and play pretty free. Uh, they have one of the one of the quickest tempo teams offensively in the country. I think it's, I think it's, I, I think for ASU in the first four of the teams you could have played, this is probably the one you want instead of Temple or Belmont, which are very structured teams with good veteran coaches. Yeah, this is going to be a game that I think could play into ASU's hands just in the way that St. John's kind of comes in and, and the skills they have. In the way I think fans are thinking of this, I know Chris really wants to say his point, and he will get to in just one second. I think this is an exciting matchup, though. I think fans will enjoy watching this game. And, like, 
I thought the I Syracuse think, ASU game. Last I don't year, think any or, fans are gonna just unless ASU. Well, no, I'm just saying. I think last year's game. Yeah. I don't think last year's game was the most enjoyable game to watch. Okay, I think this game could be a lot more exciting, a lot more fun. That's all I'm saying from a fan perspective. I think that this is the kind of game. Not for ASU fans, though. It's going to be stressful. Unless no, ASU's I, I up by a bunch, it's going to be. For example, I thought the Oregon game was a good game where there were runs. It's just I, I, think, I think that game I, was stressful for ASU fans. People on our boards stressful were saying and fun. People, I think stressful and a good people, competitive no, game were different people things. People on our boards that. were saying that was the most heartbreaking loss ASU's had since the Texas game. This is going to send me on such a tangent because go on a tangent, you're, boss. You're, I'm not going to. Do it but to them. People don't like defense. Is basically what you're saying. <laughs> people like. Offensive games that are up and down and all that. Now I agree. And that's you, Chris. You you hate. Defense. I like defensive games. I, know, I thought the national defense. championship game in football was good. Everybody says the worst game ever. You probably enjoyed the UConn Butler national title game from that was a couple years ago. Basketball. Yeah. No. That I like that, that game. Basketball. That game sucked. No, it didn't. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm not okay. saying it was good. Uh, anyways, look. Uh, St. John's is sort of like ASU last year, but not. As you said, they're not as three-point reliance, right? What I noticed about them, though, is that they don't turn the ball over much yeah. for how much that they're up and down the court. They have very good ball handling, which ASU had last year. Mm-hmm. They played at a reckless, abandoned pace, and they shot the ball out, but they didn't turn the ball over. St. John's also gets a lot of blocks and steals. They play a, they play and sort of a, a, a aggressive type of a team, I think. So, But they're not that well-coached. And I, I think that they're almost a little bit like UCLA. Yeah, that was going to be the ball, yeah. ball dominant point guard like Jalen Hands right. and some good shooters. It's some guy, I mean, some okay shooters, but then really they're more of a they team that's two wings that can shoot. It yeah, yeah but they, but they're but but they, but they score off the bounce a lot. Yeah. yeah. And they and they play up and down. The difference is UCLA played some man, uh, you know, under Barto and St. John's is. I mean, they played some zone under Barto and and St. John's is more of a man-based team. I think it's going to be probably an enjoyable matchup. I think it's actually a pretty good matchup for ASU because St. John's isn't very long. Nope. You're going to be able to get the ball inside probably to Romella White and to have some success there. Yep. You're going to be able to get Remy Martin doing, you know, as long as he's healthy, a lot of the things that he likes to do. Mm-hmm. And you have in Lugens' door a guy who can check pawns. Yeah. In a way that probably could be the, a big difference in this kind of a game. So – We'll have to see about just the health status of Remy Martin because that's going to be a factor. But uh, I think some of the advanced analytics starting to come out are showing that ASU is a little bit of a favorite in this game. I like this matchup better for ASU than I did last year when they played Syracuse. I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, we're going to move on from basketball, but do you guys have any more notes you want to make before we move on from basketball? I, I hope that our audience think we covered it pretty good. I, I think we covered it very well, but I just wanted to make sure you guys got – uh, to say anything you I just want to say that. that I still have half of a beer in my uh, you gotta, in my glass right you gotta now. You got to finish it, boss. Yeah. Oh, no, he does not have half a beer. I don't know why. <laughs> it's half, okay? <laughs> half. <laughs> All right. Always um, half. ASU baseball today uh, did something they haven't done in a long time. ASU baseball is the last undefeated team in the nation. They're 19 and 0. They swept Washington State this weekend in a three-game set. Today was a pretty stressful game for ASU fans. They won six to five. Uh, the bases were loaded for Washington State with one out in the ninth inning. Chaz Montoya did a really nice job closing out the game. 
ASU baseball is going to go up in the rankings this week. North Carolina State lost this week, NC State. Or they lost today, excuse me, to Florida State, a good baseball team. And ASU, the last undefeated team. This team's playing really well, Jack. They are. Uh, and, again, I, I think I, I, I picked them to win 28 games this season. They're, they're already almost there. What I would say is this weekend, I have two takeaways from this weekend. Um, they looked a lot more like the team they were last year they this did. weekend, especially with some of the bullpen pitching. Yeah, Eric Tolman had four walks in his 2.2 innings. Blake Brazell looked a little shaky. Those are the two freshman relievers that, that ACs really relied on so far this year. Neither looked quite as good in their first Pac-12 games. Tracy Smith marked it up to nerves. We'll see if it's right. nerves. Um, I do have questions about how much these guys are having to throw. Eric Tolman is already to almost 20 innings. If not, he might be at 20 innings now, uh, which is a lot for a freshman pitcher. Yeah. 20 games or not even 20 games into a season. Especially a guy that also wants to bat Yeah, sometimes. a guy who, who, yeah, who's in the batting order sometimes. Um, so the good thing for ASU is – they were four and sixteen in two in games decided by two runs or less last year. They're five and zero this year. They were able they they blew a lead on Saturday night, but but ended up pulling that game out. They they almost blew a lead today, but ended up getting out of it. Right. Um. With a couple, even after they they walked some guys, there were a couple really big at bats, really big strikeouts from Brady Corrigan, from Chaz Montoya, yeah, like you there said. Was some really Eric Tolman even had some a big strikeout today that I don't know if I expect. Yeah, to get out of a jam. But the question is, moving forward, what what is the what's going to be the longer lasting thing? ASU's ability to consistently win tight games or or get themselves out of trouble, or are they going to keep playing a little bit sloppier? And once you play, remember Washington State is not one of the better teams in the Pac-12. So as you as you start moving forward, and this is. Tracy Smith alluded to this today. He said, if they play and pitch the way they did this weekend, they're going to lose more games than they end up winning. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of the worry that I – or that this was my reservation, even as ASU has been winning all these games to start the season, is that you weren't getting challenged by really good teams. You weren't having to play. There weren't very many yeah. high-leverage situations. And with still a young team, and especially such a young and shorthanded pitching staff – the, if they're going to be put in a lot of high leverage situations week after week after week, that's when you could see, that's when you could see losses start to pile up. But but at well, least one weekend in, boss. All that aside, Jack, uh, it's been about three or four weeks now that we've kept talking about the possibility of Tracy Smith and ASU baseball losing their first game, and they still haven't done it. That's and, true. And, and this was the toughest test this team had to face. These four games this week. First time they've won back-to-back close games that yes. they that they needed to finish, I think. That's and true. and look at the end of the day, it's like they're nineteen and zero. They're nineteen and zero, and overwhelmingly, fans wanted their coach fired, and they're the only undefeated team in baseball. So this is, is my that- opinion on it, and, and, and this I'm telling Chris and Jack for the first time. I think it's very obvious now that Tracy Smith isn't going anywhere. No, this not team, unless they lose every game the rest of the season. I don't even think if much. they lose – I mean, yeah, I guess if they lost every single game the rest of the way. Tracy Smith is staying after it, this it, year. It would take Tracy something extremely Smith, unexpected um, at this point. ASU's going to make the tournament. I think they have a really whoa, good whoa, chance. Whoa, 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 They're not I, going to wait, make the can tournament. Can we just – No, I, I – Today document, is March yeah, 17th. March 17th, say what, it. What, are you, what percentage are you putting on that? The going to make seventy five percent, eighty percent. That's not going. That's probably going to. Yeah. They'd have to have a massive collapse. Not really. I mean, yes, you would. You have uh, the Pac twelve. Wh- while the Pac twelve is good, it's there's unfiltered. 
while there's the Pac-12 is good and there's a, a few teams that are excellent, as in the top five in UCLA, Stanford, and Oregon State. That's fair. After that, there's a little break. And yes. if ASU can get anywhere near That's the next true. little tier. But, but Washington State is the second worst team in the Pac-12. Oh, I, I understand that. Yeah. And they almost lost a couple games. So they it doesn't both. take it doesn't yeah, take they a, didn't, it doesn't there's a certain point where it it's not does almost losing not, if you're going to win. I'm aware. But I'm having I'm not I'm saying as far as their tournament chances go, I'd say it's I'd put it fifty fifty, right. maybe a little bit better than fifty fifty, because it doesn't take a massive collapse, really. You have thirty games left. About a little less than thirty. They can easily lose. So if you go, you, if you go five hundred. But this is what I'm saying. Which five hundred in the Pac-12 is tough. If you go five hundred, I don't 500, know. Five hundred, you're making. It. I don't know if you I make it. Making, a low thirties win total with a weak. A low thirties win total with, with a high a RPI. No, it's going to be a high RPI. The conference RPI is going to be. Yeah, like, the conference true, RPI. But is, if they yeah. start losing games, they're going to slip in the. I'm just saying. I think they're going to be. If they go five, if they go five hundred the the rest of the way, or even a little bit below five hundred, which is to me. Very much within the realm of possibility. That is, and I agree with that. I, this is what I'm saying. They're not a guarantee then to make the tournament. Okay, I'll tell we... you notes though that, that that I think fans should look at as 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 strong positives. Spencer Torkelson, he he's got a great average. He hasn't started hitting for power yet. I know. That will come. He's not going to hit 25 home runs. Uh, so that but, wasn't going to happen. But, but some of their other guys are yeah, are in a tree right now. And they're not yeah. going to keep that up. Right. Man. Well, Hunter Bishop's going to have a very good year. He's already having a good year. Obviously, with 10 home runs. The guy's going to hit, I think, close name, to 20 home runs this year. Name, I don't think. Name me two or three players that are not going to keep hitting. Oh, I mean, Alika Williams isn't hitting 400 this year. Trevor Howard's not like going to hit close to 400. It's some of the slugging. It's some of the slugging. You're seeing a difference in the approaches at the play of a lot of these guys on the team. You're seeing enhanced defensive abilities that you didn't see last year. Yeah. I said to Jack today, it was, you know. But guys are they're more experienced and they're in the having, right spots. I think we're having two separate conversations here. Yeah, we are. Obviously, they are way better than they were last season. But way better than they were last season brings them to what? An average to maybe above average Pac-12 team. Well, also, historically for ASU, with this type of a schedule, they would be 17-2, and 18-1, and 19-0. Yeah. So I think I still... They would. Think, so I still only if think... If you go throughout the schedule, though, if you look throughout it a little bit, I think there's at least 10 to 15 games that, like, ASU has a good chance to win. So he, but 10, to 15, 10 to 15 doesn't you get you any, right, so, anything. So here's, here's 10 to 15 I, wins, I, I'm just saying those are the ones that I think ASU has I think, a good chance in. I think, I think ASU, if ASU continues to play this well, I think ASU has a chance to beat some of the teams in a few fair, games but, they're not supposed to. But then I'm going to ask you this. How many games do they need to win to get to the tournament? 12 to 15? No. You're, no. I think if you get they 32 to 35 15. in the Pac-12, you're probably pretty safe. I know, but I think, well, maybe. Maybe they could get to 32 I really think that's but true. I, think I don't be, think that's wrong. To be safe, you need to at least be at about 35. 35 and wins. I'm, and here's what I'd ask you. They play Cal Baptist on Wednesday. Probably going to win that. That's a new D1 program. After that, they're at Oregon. <laughs> Good little note. <laughs> they're at Oregon, and they're home to Arizona. They'll play Long Beach State. And oh, Long Beach State that. in there, yeah, yeah. which is got a UNLV game, which is not okay. So you look at those next eight games. What if they only win? But we keep th- saying we're going to find out, and well, then we're going to find out, yeah, and then they true. keep this winning. This is what I'll say. This is what I'll say. And I, I talked to Jack and I talked to Chris about this today. At some point, the team's just nineteen and zero. They're going to be in the top twenty, I believe, this week yeah, in, they the, will in, be. in the Division One top twenty-five rankings. I have been confused on what all these rankings are lately. Of the nineteen, Florida Who State cares? being one. Don't worry about it. But Arizona State's 19-0. The pitching's looked a lot better. There's a lot of questions we still don't know the answers to. Is Blake Brazell okay? He was throwing – he had a fastball at 89 miles an hour today. 
I don't know if the guy's well, was, uh, that's two games in a row where he's out, ha- topped out. He topped out at ninety five. Yeah, but he's he had only, one at ninety five and he had one at eighty nine. He's yeah. only got a fastball. Um, I, I'm just curious. Yeah, sort of, pretty much. He's he's mostly a fastball at a high pitcher. level. Chris is yeah. right in the fact that he's mostly a fastball pitcher. If your fastball is eighty nine, that tells me that you're not right. Well, look, I think we're gonna wrap this up. I think. I want everybody to realize that this is sort of some of the advanced conversation that we had right. is stuff that we typically reserve for our premium podcast. A lot of the analytics talk and the, the, the higher brow stuff about ASU's team and matchups and whatever. So if you really like this conversation, hopefully it encourages you to jump over and check out our premium podcast. Subscribe. And get in Support on. Support local journalism. Sundevilsource.com. Um. That's going to wrap it up for this podcast. You guys have anything else about ASU baseball? Hit the subscribe link, the join. Go to Sun Source. I'll say it's a, it's a better than 50-50 chance they make the tournament right now, but I, there, I have a lot of – I'm a long way Ship from sale. saying they're getting I, to the I'm tournament. I'm closer to saying they're going to win between 35 and 40 games at this point than I've been, yeah, obviously. The carpometer is 60% on ASU baseball in the playoffs. 60%. Oh, yeah. I'd go, I'd go to 70 or – I'd go to 70 or 80%. But is that's going to do it for this K-O-M edition of the on, Sun Devil Source Report on, on Team Filtered Sheets? Podcast. For, for reporter Jack Harris <laughs> and site publisher oh, Chris Rob. Cartman, I'm your Rob's host Rob Rattle. Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in. Now I can finish this half a beer.